Guys, welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today's going to be a great episode with Cliff Gray of Flat Tops Wilderness Guides out of Colorado. And Cliff is going to be breaking down the deer, elk, bighorn sheep, and mountain goat units. We're going to be talking about these animals. We're going to talk about uh, putting in for the first, second, third, fourth season. Uh, we're going to be talking about some of the tricks of the Colorado draw. And we're going to be talking about, you know, did you know that you can apply for preference points and put in for your second and third choice and still hunt and draw tags and not uh, lose out on your preference points? Uh, Cliff's going to do a great job here on this episode. Before we get to that, I want to announce March 21st, Dark Colburn and I are doing a uh, turkey hunting seminar with the Desert Christian Archers at their monthly meeting March 21st at Calvary Community Church. That's in Phoenix, Arizona. The doors open at 6 p.m. between Cactus and T-Bird. Uh, the address is 12612 North uh, Black Canyon Highway. It is on the west side of I-17 Freeway. Uh, between Cactus and Thunderbird, and you can go to the desertchristianarchers.org if you need more information. Uh, we are also uh, raffling off a Gould's turkey hunt with Dar Colburn and I down in Sonora, Mexico. The Desert Christian Archers, um, on their website, you can go to desertchristianarchers.org and you can actually order uh, as many tickets, buy as many tickets as you want. You can pay with a credit card. Also, on the March 21st uh, seminar, we are also going to be selling tickets right at the door. And we're actually going to draw the winner at the seminar. You do not have to be present to win, although I'd like to see every one of you there. Uh, that's in Phoenix, Arizona, March 21st. Dark Colburn and I are going to be doing a video presentation on turkey hunting in Arizona, as well as a question and answer session, because I think it's important to get everybody's questions uh, answered in regards to the big turkey hunts coming up here. Uh, so make sure if you're a podcast listener to um, come to that event. It's always a great event. Uh, we've got a big room this year and uh, we're expecting a lot of people. We're, the Desert Christian Archers are doing this in conjunction with the NWTF, the National Wild Turkey Federation, and it should be a great time. Uh, it is free entrance, uh, so bring, bring the kids, um, bring anybody that you think would be interested in hunting, and um, we're going to have a great time. Make sure if you are a podcast listener to come look me up. Uh, I want to say hi to each and every one of you guys. Uh, a couple deadlines here to remember. March 22nd, the New Mexico Big Game applications are due. Uh, also, April 4th, the Colorado Big Game applications are due. So make sure to uh, get your applications in. We're going to be doing uh, several more Colorado uh, what units to apply for and application slash draw uh, podcasts here on the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. So be looking for those. Guys, I also wanted to uh, tell you that uh, Dark Colburn and I at Colburn and Scott Outfitters, we have availability on our coos deer hunts in Sonora, Mexico uh, for next season. Uh, we are actually offering fully guided hunts in Sonora, Mexico, do-it-yourself hunts in, in Sonora, Mexico. And this year for the first time, uh, doing some archery hunts, archery only hunts. Uh, so if you want information on that, you can uh, reach out, uh, send me a direct message on Instagram. 
or a message on uh, Facebook on my J. Scott Outdoors Facebook page, or you could always send me an email at jscottoutdoors at gmail.com. Also, uh, my other business, gouldsturkeyhunts.com. Uh, I do have some availabilities uh, for Gould's Turkey Hunts this spring 2017, so it's not too late if you want to hunt Gould's Turkey uh, with us down in Sonora, Mexico. Uh, reach out. My website is, uh, excuse me, Gould's Turkey Hunt. Com. That's Gould's Turkey Hunt, H-U-N-T dot com. Uh, you can also go on Colburn and Scott Outfitters dot com website to see the information there. But if you're interested, uh, reach out to me. Uh, you can send me a text on my cell phone, 602-803-0223. Um, I, I love hearing from you guys. I want to thank you for your support of this podcast. I also want to thank my sponsors, GoHunt.com Insider. They are the title sponsor of this podcast. And if you're not already an Insider member, all you have to do is go to GoHunt.com forward slash Insider. Click the blue Join Now button. When you sign up for the GoHunt Insider, uh, you will get a $50 Kuyu gift card when you use the J. Scott promo code. And hundreds and hundreds of you over the last couple months have signed up for the Go Hunt Insider. I get reports uh, once a month, and um, that resource is an unbelievable resource talking about draw odds and harvest statistics, as well as they have some great strategy articles for each state. They break down a bunch of stats and they give you a bunch of information. Also, Lorenzo and his team every month. Just being a Go Hunt Insider member, they they have all kinds of giveaways. They're giving away hunts, they're giving away gear, and um, just just a great uh, organization and an incredible resource. Anybody that hunts in the Western states should be a Go Hunt Insider member. Also, want to thank Kuyu.com, Jason Harrison and his crew. They're in Dixon, California. I'm actually headed out to Kuyu here in a few days. And I uh, just want to thank them for their sponsorship. And we're going to be having some uh, pretty cool announcements here soon with Kuyu.com. Obviously, the best ultralight hunting gear made. Uh, Dar and I have been using it since they started the company, and that's all we wear. Uh, great, great gear, great packs. Uh, Jason just does an incredible job of getting that cutting edge technology and gear to the marketplace. I want to thank Phonescope.com, Cheston Davis. Uh, if you use the J. Scott 16 promo code with phonescope.com, uh, you're going to get a 10% discount on all Phonescope products. Uh, Cheston and his crew uh, make the best digiscoping adapter, being able to adapt any phone to any optic, and you can take videos and pictures right away. Uh, check them out at phonescope.com. Also, the Optics Authority, Cody Nelson and his group at the Outdoorsman's, outdoorsmans.com, uh, 1-800-291-8065. Cody does a phenomenal job educating the public, and they're a huge dealer of optics, and uh, they're known around the world as being the Optics Authority. Uh, if you use the J. Scott promo code, either by calling them on the phone, going into the shop there in Phoenix, or on the internet, uh, you're going to get a 10% discount. Uh, guys, uh, I, I want to hear from you. If you've got questions, comments, uh, 
if you've got reviews, uh, gear, what have you, send me an email, jscottoutdoors at gmail.com. And I love hearing from you. Thanks for all your support. Let's get right to this episode with Cliff Gray. Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we have a return pot fellow podcaster, Cliff Gray. I guess not fellow podcaster, but fellow outfitter, Cliff Gray, Flat Tops Wilderness Guides. Um, I like to say he's the smartest guy I know. He's the only guy I know that graduated from Stanford, and I can't help but talk to him on the phone and not mention that he's the only person I know that actually went to Stanford. So how you doing, Cliff? <laughs> Good. Good. So I just got to bring I, it up. It makes me like blush on the other side of the phone for some reason. I just want to uh, get I this straight. I, I, I just got to get this straight before we even start. So you go to Stanford, right? And you graduate from Stanford in what, like quantitative physics or what is it? <laughs> Economics. Oh, okay. Economics. Econo- I, I, yeah, and then, uh, yeah. I got another degree. I, I have a degree in quantitative finance, too. That's it. Quantitative font finance. I can't even pronounce it. So he's a double major. And then he goes <laughs> to Wall Street. Okay, picture this, folks. He rolls out. You know, he's this whippersnapper kid. Rolls out to Wall Street, him and his brother. And they're out there just kicking butt. Where, in New York? Or where were you? Uh, we had office in Dallas. Okay. And then, uh, and then that business now has office in Philadelphia. Okay, so... He's he's doing hedge funds and you know wearing a coat and tie and making all kinds of money hand over fist and he wakes up one morning and he says, "You know what? I'm going to be an outfitter in Colorado. That's what I love. That's where I'm going back to." Leaves that <laughs> business completely behind and here you are. Talking to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Depends on, it's funny, it's funny, like, uh, depends on how you frame those sort of things, I think, in life, because for me, uh, you know, having grown up in, like, a, you know, a, a ranching family and that sort of thing, I always felt kind of like the inverse, like I was, I was gone and in a cage for a few years and finally got <laughs> out, you know, but, uh, but anyways, yeah, that's the, that's the story. That's the story, huh? Well, you still have the title of the smartest friend that I know, so, um, <laughs> You know, you have to you have to live up to that. Today we're going to talk about um, Colorado 2017 fall applications. Uh, We've got a deadline coming up here, April 4th. The 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 applications have to be postmarked by midnight, April 4th, Uh, and then the results are going to be posted online June 1st. And Cliff, we're going to go over a bunch of this stuff, but the archery season this year is August 26th through September 24th. The muzzleloader season is the 9th through the 17th. Second rifle is October 21st through the 29th. Third rifle season is November 4th through the 12th. And fourth rifle season is November 15th through the 19th. And what jumps out at me from these numbers is I remember that fourth season last year being the 16th through the 20th. So it looks like on those second, third, and fourth seasons, everything just bounced back one day. So in essence, those third and fourth seasons, in my mind, are still a premium because they're pretty late compared to, I believe, sometimes we can have like a 31st or even a November 1st start date. 
um, say on that third rifle season. So we still are, you know, this year coming up, we still have late season dates, potential rutting mule deer, uh, you know, right in the middle of, you know, pretty good rutting there. Yeah. And that's, I mean, basically it's slowly, it's slowly going to creep away from that, like just a day each year, but a day does make a little bit of difference. Um, the one thing I would say about this year is last year, you know, a lot of people really got after it because the, the week had jumped an entire week, right? It went a whole week back. Right. Um, so a lot of people got after it with the latter dates, and then we were, we were served up like probably the, you know, the most mild fall that anybody's seen in a long time. Um, so a lot of big deer made it through. And a matter of fact, this morning I got stuck on the phone with uh, one of the local game wardens that was on the flight when they did the counts, um, not just in my unit, but around. And, and he even commented that some big deer made it through. So it's always good. And so, so you know, you can kind of view it. Um, if you didn't get it done last year in terms of drawing a tag, that this year some of those bucks are going to roll over just because conditions are rough, you know. I, I think it also goes to point out that, you know, we can argue about d- uh, dates and we can argue about weather and temperature. And I think we had a perfect example where, you know, the warm fall last year pretty much across the board in Colorado made things tough. Um so even with great dates last year, about as good as it could possibly get, you know, I would rather take, uh, you know, a third rifle season with, you know, all kinds of weather and snow and having deer, you know, really moving and migrating. And not only that, from a, from a you know, cold weather type situation where those deer are more apt to be moving around rather than just laying up in the, you know, in the quakies and not moving. Um, so let's hope that this coming fall season that you actually get uh colder temps and what do they call that an indian summer or they have a name for uh those those uh, fall seasons when they just are real mild um yeah i can't doesn't come doesn't come in my head my you know we call it as tough hunting (laughs) 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 yeah the indian lower success rate yeah i can't i don't i don't i know what you're looking for but you're asking the wrong guy that's I stumped the Stanford grad. Um, <laughs> why don't you start out by telling the me and the listeners kind of a thirty thousand foot view of how the Colorado application and draw process works? And a lot of listeners probably are, are familiar with it, but I'm sure there's some that have never applied in Colorado. So just walk me through uh, how how it goes down in Colorado. Okay, so. So we can generalize on elk and deer because they they work the same way, and that's that we have a strict preference point system. So when you so outside of the over the counter elk, like all of our draw elk and mule deer. So basically, the tags go to the highest amount of preference points, and there's no there's no randomness around that. Um, the uh, the there's a little you'll see like in the stats you'll see a little bit of distortion because they do have allocations right not just non-resident and resident but they also allocate some youth to youth and stuff like that so there's a little bit of variability to that but generally the guys with the most points draw the most uh tags or yeah draw the tag right and in order Um, you you mentioned points just to be clear in order to get a preference point that's every year that you don't draw you get a preference point yeah so it's every year 
that you don't draw your first choice, okay. which, um, which me and you have talked about, and that is like a really a key component of it, right? right. Um, and so the minute you draw your first choice, your preference points are wiped out. Um, so uh, so and that's, that goes back to when you apply, you've got, I think it's, I think it's four choice options, you know, really, really in the whole scheme of things, you're, when you're talking in Colorado, just because so many units are managed for opportunity, once you get to like your third choice, you're going to draw the tag, so it really doesn't matter, but basically you've got, you've got a set of choices you can put in there when you apply. Um, if you, so like, the, the thing, if you're, if you're gaining, if you just want a point, then you could just put the preference point in there as your first choice, and you can, you, you know, you don't even have to put in other choices. You're just going to get your point. It's like you're basically taking a pass on that year to accumulate points. Um, the other strategy that me and you have talked about and I go over with hunters quite a bit is depending on the units, um, you can put in a first choice as a preference point, and then you can actually put in a second choice as a hunt, and that there's a lot of tags that you can draw under that scenario, and in that scenario, when you draw, you still have your preference points. Um, and, and, that's, I, and that's something I will say, Cliff. You know, like I have 17 points for elk, and I have 11 points for deer in Colorado, and I can tell you that I have never taken advantage of that. Uh, what you're just talking about. I always have just applied four points and didn't wasn't paying enough attention to realize that I could put the preference point code down in the first choice box and then there's a lot of deer hunts like for instance your second and third uh, season deer hunts I could have been applying as my second choice and pretty much gone deer hunting every single year with you yeah so so for on second on second season for sure, and then third season most likely, right? So, um, a so, lot of sec- a lot of second choice guys draw tags. And and maybe we should come back to this once you kind of get through the draw. Let's double back because I want to ask you if I do if I do preference points for my first choice, then I do a, a third rifle season as my second choice, and then I do second rifle season as my set as my third. But we'll, let's come back to that after you explain how deer and elk work. Okay, yeah, and, and we can do it. And, and there's like a lot of um, there's a lot of strategy things around that that I think are important. And, it, and in some ways, I, I kind of wish that it was more uh, more evident and, and Colorado uh, talked about it more because it's a good way to get guys hunting deer here every year, which I think is good not only for the state, but it's also good for just hunting in general. Like the worst thing you can have, and it, this doesn't really apply to UJ. But I see it in a lot of my clients. Is a lot of guys just don't hunt year to year because they're frustrated by the options and they don't really understand that options available. You know. Um, so, uh, but anyways, yeah. So the rest of the draw, uh, that that's pretty much the extent of it there, right? And then what they will do when you apply, there'll be a box or a couple boxes at the bottom there, and you can say if I don't draw one of these choices refund me. Um, in the in the case of elk, there will be an option there that just says send me an over-the-counter bull tag. Um, and then there will be another option there that says send me the leftover list. Um, 
and so you get there's there's you get kind of first crack at the leftover list if you if you check that and and didn't draw on the draw. And uh, okay, one question. One question with the leftover list: Is it feasible that if you say yes, meaning go ahead and charge me for the license, I don't I I I I don't want a refund, and you get the leftover list? Is it potential that you can actually find a few hunts that are on the leftover list that are pretty darn good? Yeah, there's there's never going to be like some awesome, you know, awesome uh, hunts on that on that list. Um, but there's going to be some hunts. There, I mean, I guarantee you, there's going to be hunts on that list where you can where it's feasible to kill you know 170 inch deer or bigger. Um, but it's not going to be you know it's not going to be popping one off the off the road type of thing. Okay. You know what I mean? It's just going to be. Well, those that are rules be me out. I like rolling the window down and. Just, <laughs> Keeping the heater but you know on. what I mean? Like, <laughs> th- like that's what you're not going to see on there. But a lot of those units are going to be going to have produced big, big deer. You know, yeah. um, like a lot of those units, you can open that. I mean, you'll see on there, and they're in Garfield, Eagle, Pitkin County. Where I mean, if you open up B and C's record book, that thing dominates. You know what I mean? And so there's there's units that you can get left. You know leftover tags in those those units they're just not going to be easy hunts by any means you know and they you're going to see more earlier hunts right like second season in particular uh where deer hunting's tough you know it did takes takes work so so that's what you're going to see um typically on that on that leftover deal now you know they've been changing this uh quite a bit so i can't i can't talk at an expert level about it but they have been changing um, the refund rules in, in, in Colorado. And my understanding is that, you know, if you draw one of these tags, it used to be that you could actually wait relatively close to the season and then you could return it and get your points back, right, if you drew a tag. Um, but you'd have to eat the cost of the tag. And so you had a situation where guys would wait and then on conditions they would turn tags back and then they wouldn't get, you know, they, it kind of messed with game management a little bit because they didn't know how many tags the units they changed that now where you actually have to, in order to get your points back, you have to return, I think, 30 days before the opening of the season. So it stopped that behavior. But what it did was I know that some of those tags they will put back on the leftover list. So, like, not to confuse things further, but the leftover list that you get sent after the draw, it'll have a bunch of tags in there, potentially some good ones. But over time, there might be, you know, and you can download the leftover deal on the, on the website, Tags might come back onto that list that are pretty good just because people return them for, for family reasons or schedule or whatever. Okay. Uh, it becomes a bit of a, a like race to the phone call, the phone type of thing, and, and it's, you know, but it's an option for somebody if they're on it, you know. So what you're saying in that case is you could actually get a couple pretty good hunts that people have given back. And right. Every year there's a couple diamonds in the rough. Yep. Yep, but it's just you know it's one of those things that yeah I, me personally I, I don't I don't worry about it but um, but some guys have been able to pull it off. Okay. Um, so that's what you're looking at as those, those are your options, um, and then in terms of the sheep and goat draw, it does have a random element. You have to have three points to just be even in the running, and then after that you start gaining what they call weighted points. And essentially, the more weighted points you have, the, the higher chance you have of drawing the tag. There's still a random element. 
you know, guys with 20 points will draw, and then another guy will draw the same same ram, ram tag with only, you know, five points. So it happens. It just gives you more chance the more weighted points you have. Okay, I get that. Now, there's also an element of over-the-counter elk tags. Explain, so we've got the draw, we've got over-the-counter, and then we also have landowner vouchers. Explain to me over-the-counter elk hunting in Colorado and, and how there's some units that are over-the-counter where you don't even have to draw. Yeah, and there's... Uh... You know, if you look at a map of Colorado, it's actually a big portion proportion of the state, uh, particularly particularly the central mountains. You know, you're going to have a lot of over-the-counter bull tags. That's that means second and third season. Those are the seasons we're talking about. In all the units, your first season and fourth rival season are going to be draw. Some of them, some of those seasons are basically uh, act exactly like over-the-counter units because there's enormous amount of leftovers you can draw on the second, third, fourth choice or whatever. But when you're talking about true over-the-counter, you're talking about second and third season only for elk. Um, basically, you just got to buy them, and it, you can go hunting. The, the one thing I will say, and it's important for people to, to be conscientious of this, is, is you have to buy them before the season starts. So if you're going to come out third season, it's a nine-day season, and you're going to hunt the last five days of it, which is not a bad strategy, don't come out here and try to buy one two days into the season because they won't sell them to you. So that's the only, that's the only issue with the over-the-counter. You just got to make sure you purchase it before the season. And the best way to do it is online. I mean, they send it to you. They're quick about it. They, they're administratively pretty, pretty much on it. So, so that's the over-the-counter deal. The... Archery season for elk has a fair amount of over the. I mean, there's a fair amount of over the counter units also. There's actually, my understanding, and it actually applies to several units that are near me. Some of the units that are over the counter rifle are not over the counter um, archery. So you just have to be cognizant of that. The map that shows over the counter rifle does not necessarily correlate to the map that is uh, over the counter archery. And then your archery over the counter is either sex for the most part. Okay. Um, and in Colorado, you have to do paper applications. Is that correct? <laughs> it's a, no, you don't. Um, not for uh, not for for sheep and goat. You do. Yeah, I believe that is the case, unless it changed. And I'm embarrassed that yeah. I don't know it immediately. But. Uh, Elk and deer, you can do uh, because I do them for a fair amount of clients as non-residents, so I do those. Um, the sheep, I know, I know that moose, you have to, you have to do a paper application still. Um, yeah, I actually just read that. Um, I actually just read that. Yep. Okay, let. I want to go back to one thing that people need to understand is that some of these deer hunts, there could be an over-the-counter elk season going on at the same time is that correct so just because you see a deer hunt that you think is really good you could also have you know elk hunters everywhere is that is that the case in a lot of units cliff yeah in colorado that's the case of most 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 units i mean most the particularly i would say particularly in second and third season right fourth season 
your quotas in almost all the units are pretty pretty slim, even for elk. The bull tags are, are much tighter, so you won't have as many elk hunters in there. But when you, like if a guy, well, let's take 44, for instance, because that's kind of the one that people, that's written up all the time, right? Like if you got a third season 44 buck tag, you know, and you think you've drawn something really special, which you have on the deer front, you are going to see a ton of elk hunters um, because that area's got really good road access and it's an over-the-counter bull tag unit. Um, so it's really relevant, right? And, and that, and I, I, kind of what you're getting at, people don't, people for, they don't realize that because, you know, they're blowing 20 points on a, on a buck tag and it's like, oh, there's still a lot of people around hunting. It doesn't necessarily, like, affect the deer hunting that much, but you're going to see a bunch of hunters. Yeah. Um, I, I want to ask you, let's go back to kind of what we were talking about before, and that is for those of us that put in for first choice preference points, because I have 11 points for deer, and let's say that I wanted to continue and go for 12 points for deer and chase some of these, you know, quote unquote, best units, yeah. which is a whole nother discussion. Sure. So let's say that I do preference points on my first choice. In, in the case of like your third season deer hunt, which would be uh, November 4th through the 12th, I could then put. I'm better off to make my second choice the third season hunt, correct? And then my my third choice to go with the second season hunt. You want to go with the hardest hunt first. Yeah, so it's going to it's gonna it's gonna tier right. So like in that case, they're gonna go third seat. Like they're just gonna look at third season the third season buck tag that you're applying for as a second choice they're going to make sure everybody who put it as a first choice gets the tag. Then they're going to take the remaining tags and they're going to give them to guys who put it as second choice. And then if they have leftovers after second choice, they will give them to the third choice guys. So in the case of your, your strategy, um, in this, I can only com- comment like historically, like a lot of this stuff is changing in your, in your, in this, this example, is one that is kind of changing a little bit year to year. But historically, that would be the perfect strategy, right, if you wanted to come hunt with me or you wanted to hunt a unit like this. Um, Because second season has actually been putting a handful of buck tags onto the leftover list. So that means that, let's say, you went, they put into the second, they, they, on the third season tag, they got to second choices, um, and then they filled them up before it hit you, right? So you're out on that mm-hmm. one. Well, the second season tag has already given everybody first choice, everybody second choice, and then historically it's had you know a handful of leftovers, so it's actually given given some to third choice, right? Where it's given, it's actually filled up all third choice because it's ended up on a leftover list. Now, it, you know that's it's volatile year to year, Jay. But you know if you look twenty twenty hindsight to the stats, that would have been perfect, right? You would have gotten deer hunting every year. Or like looking at the archery hunt, your unit is unit twenty five, mm-hmm. and if I look at the archery hunt, I'm looking at these go hunt insider. Last year, there were seventeen people 
that applied for it looks like um that applied for that archery hunt and then i would assume if i put the archery hunt in as the second choice what you're saying is i would probably for sure get the archery every single year yeah yep in, in because there, there's always leftover archery tags or yeah 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 leftover. i mean you never know right who, who knows what they what they do with quotas a little bit or you know people's preferences change or whatever but if you generalize it to this unit and a lot of other units that are kind of the same same structure, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of places you can bow hunt and retain retain points, um, a, a ton of them. And I would say that you know you have to do your do your research on it, but in some in some places you're hunting deer that that people later on will be hunting with twenty points, um, but you are hunting with a, a bow, so it's tougher. Um, but you get you know it's you have you have the opportunity to hunt them, no doubt. And I think this whole concept, I mean, just it, it's underutilized um, in Colorado for sure. Uh, re, you know, residents. Uh, you, I mean, a lot of them them do this because they want you know they want to hunt every year for sure. But uh, yeah, there's a lot of opportunity there. And you know, some of the units. What I tell guys um, is, you can learn a unit that way too. You know what I mean, Jay? Like. Yeah, come out and hunt 44 with your bow and learn the unit so that when when my points finally catch up, yeah, and, and I'm just using 44 as an example, yeah. you know it inside and out because you've hunted it the last five years with with the bow. Yeah, exactly. And in like like that example, and a lot of units are going to be the same. Like you're not necessarily going to be hunting them with a bow in the same area they're going to be rutting in during the fourth season. But what right. what guys don't anticipate, and it always bums me out because guys get so pumped about these hunts, and rightfully so. Um, but there's like there's just things that if you've been there before, it's life's way easier, right? You're not. I mean, if you come for a four season hunt, it's five days. If two days, you're just trying to figure out the good roads, the access points, all that. It cuts into your. I mean, you don't know the area. I mean, even simple things like. Like, you need to go to, you know, if you need to run to town, you know exactly where to go because you went there and archery hunted that area and you know the community. Like, people don't inti- they, people don't realize that's super important, you know, if you want to be really efficient. Yeah. So, so yeah. I, I think good. that's a good point. Speaking specifically about what you do, um, Cliff, for those people that haven't heard you on the podcast before, um, give me a little bit of a breakdown of where your operation is and how you operate and the hunts that you kind of have to offer. Yeah, so uh, I'm, I live right here in the dead center of 25, um, and I primarily hunt Unit 25. Um, 90 plus percent of our hunting is in the wilderness area, so it's all horseback stuff. Um, uh, the majority of my business is over the counter elk hunting, um, and again, that's all done from wilderness camps. We, you know, we have a pretty big packing operation, so that's the the brunt of my business. Um, and then I uh, I do a little a little sheep here in this unit, but then I do goat and sheep kind of a, across Colorado with a couple a couple friends who are fellow outfitters. Um, and then in terms of hunts that I have right now, um, I'm still looking to fill a couple deer hunts, particularly second and third season. Um, and like we were talking about, it kind of it wraps into that second season. I still got 
you know, you're going to draw the tag, and in the third season we could set you up where you know, there's a high potential that you're going to going to draw it. And those hunts I actually do from the lodge here. The only thing with those is that guys got to be willing to to ride every day, um, and it's a pretty productive it's a pretty productive hunt. Is that where riding white lightning white lightning comes in? <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's uh, that's that's the horse that you're going to ride, Jay. <laughs> no, I'm smart enough not to name any of my horses White Lightning. If I got one named White Light, Lightning or Widowmaker or something like that, I get I sell it. <laughs> but uh, I, I cracked up. I I had made a post on Instagram about um, looking at buying a Polaris General, and Cliff, obviously being the witty guy that he is, comes on there and says, "Man, that's expensive. Uh, you know, you can come up here and ride a." What was it? A mule named White Lightning, a gilding named something. It was hilarious. I cracked up. It was awesome. I, yeah. Well, I, the reason, like, it, it's just funny because I like my employees. I'll, I'll I'll purchase new horses and we'll we'll be naming them. And it's always like I'll come in there and I'll and I'll pull a saddle off the rack and it'll have it'll have a label on it and it'll be like Widowmaker. And I'm like, guys, <laughs> you can't be calling our horses Widowmaker. You know, that's just, just kind of a funny, I always, always crack up about it, you know. Um, but anyways, yeah, they're horseback hunts, which are a blast, but you have to be open to that. And they're relatively physical, too, because when we're, when we're riding, we'll get off and, and climb up to glassing points and, and that sort of thing. Um, but, uh, yeah. Okay, so, let, let me ask you a couple questions yep. specific to that. So you have a couple second season and third season opportunities where guys can do exactly what i was saying where they can not waste quote unquote waste their preference points and put in for the second and third choices and draw those second and third season deer tags with you now i want to ask you like what kind of hunt so obviously the second season would be uh, uh october 21st through the 29th um and so what kind of hunt what kind of deer and then the same question for the third rifle, like what kind of expectations, um, you know, numbers of deer, I would assume as the third season progresses, the deer continuing to move down, you know, are you say, seeing the same amount of deer, but all of a sudden you see more deer on the third season or can the second be just as good as the third? So, yeah, so a bunch of, bunch of questions and all, and just let me know if I don't, don't hit one of them, Jay. But um, so second and third season, the the difference between them is I would well the the number of deer you see during third particularly the last four or five days which is when I schedule my, my guided stuff for that are specifically deer hunts um, you're going to see a lot more density of deer because you're going to pick up rutting behavior there's a you know there's a little bit of weather related things if you got like kind of an uh, an anomaly in, in during second season where you got a bunch of snow and it started pushing deer you might see you might get into a ton of deer also but then the third season you're gonna you know you're picking up rutting activity and your deer density is going to go up for sure um in terms of the quality i mean it's generally the same deer right so the 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 big deer are there but you're a lot less likely to kill them during second season um Having said that, the biggest deer that I've killed in the area, we did kill during second season. Um, but generally, your quality is going to be better in third season just because the bigger bucks are getting just a little bit dumber, right? And they're, they're starting to come out of the timber. So that's generally what you're looking at. Like, if, you know, in terms of what people want to know on quality and that sort of thing, second season, I would say, you know, like, generally I like to kill deer 160 inches or bigger. 
So in second season, I would say, you know, opportunities at those deer are what we're looking at, and your success rate probably on it's going to be, you know, 70 to 70%-ish, something like that. You know, there's going to be a, a fair amount of volatility year to year on that. Third season, I would probably stick around like the same quality, maybe like a little bit bigger, 165-inch deer is like what you're focused on, and then your, your success rate goes probably closer up to like 90 um, so that's kind of what you're what you're looking at now. Um, the only thing on those, the only caveat to those success rates is I would say that you really you do got to be willing to to hunt horseback for five days straight. Um, you know, so that would be with those if that makes sense. You got to you got to consider under that that spectrum. Okay, and so speaking specifically about those hunts, you're going to be doing them out of the lodge, which is your home base there, yep. and you're going to be riding every morning. You're going to be riding horse. You're going to be riding all day, be gone all day, and come back at night, um, and you're going to be doing a ton of glassing, I would assume, and I would assume that um, your deer hunters are there to deer hunt. Or are you also doing these particular hunts as combos, or no? Do you want these particular people to focus on, on yeah, just so, deer? So I, I highly encourage guys just focus on deer for this. Um, the, what I've, what I, I, if a guy, if a guy doesn't mind paying for the elk tag, we can. That's that's fine. Um, what I would say is particular in the third season. Yeah, it might be great. We might be getting into elk every day. It's, but you're talking about, from here, you're talking about something that's very, very variable based on weather, right? Um, second season, I'd say in general, um, uh, elk tag is highly, highly volatile in terms of the areas we're hunting, right? Uh, if I haven't had snow, you know, you probably shouldn't worry about it. Overall, though, I like people just to focus. Um, it's hard for some guys because they're they've got other expenses involved coming out. But basically, what I do is I just charge guys if you if you want to kill an elk during the hunt, I just charge a thousand bucks as like an additional animal, if that makes sense. Um, but it's it's I, I kind of leave it up to guys if the tag if the tag money doesn't is not like super important to them and like not really significant. Why not? You know, why not have the tag? Particularly third season, at some point we're probably going to run into elk, but. But in general, just just focus. <laughs> you know what I mean, Jay? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it, it's it, it's the reason I asked the question because I think sometimes when you have those combo tags, you can kind of get stuck in no man's land. Are you kind of in the deer country? Are you kind of in the elk country? And yes, they inhabit both. But I would assume like there's certain areas like this is better for deer. Like we're going to be here. And you know you're like, well, I got an elk. T-, you know, it's like, well, yeah, I think yeah, and that's successful. exactly. Be- yeah, I mean, you're simplifying what what I what I was getting at, Jay, in a lot better in a lot better sense. Like, basically, we're hunting deer country, and the elk may or may not move in there. You know what I mean? Right. And so that's 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 the reality. And the other thing is, like, if you want to hunt mule deer and focus on, like, in particular, if you're quality oriented, like, there's nothing against shooting a raghorn bull elk at all. Um, and, but if you're focused on deer, you got to remember if you shoot a, if you short, shoot an elk, um, that day's gone. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like we, we go up there first day we, we get an elk, right? Well, you've lost one fifth of your deer hunt. And, you know, I just, I mean, from my standpoint, if you're, if you're oriented about quality, just focus on one thing. Okay. okay good stuff. Um, 
Okay, so second and third deer season, you have a couple openings. And just to be clear, these are seasons that pretty much someone could call you after listening to this podcast and book a spot and pretty much know they're going to be hunting either second season or third with you yeah. uh, there in Colorado. And just to be clear, too, you're, you are located between Glenwood Springs and Eagle on the north side of the road on the west side of the Colorado River. So if anybody has driven from Glenwood Springs going towards Denver, towards Vail on I-70, you parallel the Colorado River until you get to uh, Cerro. And right there at Cerro, the Colorado River actually turns and goes north and stops paralleling the freeway. And then I-70 keeps going and it goes into Gypsum and it goes into Eagle. Um, you are what would be about before Dotsero, correct, on the left-hand side or on the north side of the road, and that's the Flat Tops Wilderness in Unit 25. Yep. So as far as people getting to you, they're flying into Grand Junction, uh, which is about an hour and a half or two hours away. They're flying into Eagle, which is, you know, 40, 40, 30 to 40 minutes away, or they're flying into Denver, which is probably going to be, what, about uh, two hours and 45 minutes or yeah. three hours to the east. Right. It, it's a little bit like probably three and a half hours just once you account for getting all the way out because of our remoteness, but uh, but pretty close. Okay, and then it, you also offer archery elk hunts, um, archery deer hunts, uh, and you, your main focus is second, third, and fourth season elk hunts, correct? Yeah, that's that's the, the brunt of my business. Um, you know, I, 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 it's, it's hard for me to say, like, what the exact focus is. Um, because a lot of a lot of that business uh, is drop camps and that sort of thing, so we do focus on it. But a lot of this other stuff is, um, you know, we work hard on it too. If that makes sense. Yeah, and but these deer hunts are, would be kind of specialty type hunts because you're going to be staying right there in your lodge, which is right where your your home is, yep. where your where you raise your family, right there yep. at headquarters, and you're going to be riding. Um, what an hour up to a glassing point every day or yeah it depends you know, a little what, bit on the, what's a typical day yeah it depends a little bit on the conditions but an hour to two hour ride um and then and then glassing from there okay and there's several and there's, we go several different directions meals and stuff would be um you'd come in and then you'd have dinner and stuff and yep. you have showers and the whole thing at your lodge camp yep so it's kind of the the anomaly for us in that regard all of our other stuff is done out of wilderness camps and this is just done out of a and, it, and it's a nice facility you know it's it's comfortable yeah okay that's awesome uh and then so your bread and butter is is pretty much elk hunting, but you do do these deer hunts, you do some sheep hunts. Um, I, I want to get this out just so we can talk about it, and then we can talk about anything uh, involving the draw here. Sure. Um, you also uh, love these uh, British Columbia bear hunts. I believe you have some hunts coming up this spring. Tell me a little bit about the contacts you've made and the friendships you've made in BC and how that's led you to guiding bear hunts. Yeah, so uh, 
so I started going up there over the last couple of years. Um, it, it's, it's funny how these things uh, migrate, but really, you know, as, a, as any, I think in any business, you're trying to grow things and look at different opportunities. Uh, in the hunting thing, the nice thing about that is you can look at stuff that interests you. Um, and so I got into it really within that framework, like, you know, what would be a fun hunt in, in May and June, you know, the, the springtime. Um, and then, I, you know, I'd kill a lot of bears here in Colorado and the west. And uh, basically up there, you know, you start to realize that the bear thing in terms of spring bear, it's kind of, it's a whole different world, Jay. I mean, the density of bears up there relative to the, to the states that do have spring hunts, which excludes Colorado, unfortunately, Wyoming, Idaho, Montana, um, it's almost like a different species of bear, um, just because they're bigger, and then also the density is a lot, a lot higher. So I chose to kind of pursue it there from a from a business standpoint. And uh, the guys I work with there, um, you know, I, I talk to lots of different guys, and part of the part of the choice was based on the habitat that I wanted to take guys to, um, the experience I wanted to to take them to, um, and so that kind of meant the coastal the coastal regions. Um, there's two big, big, probably like the primo areas in B.C. for spring bears are Vancouver Island and then the coastal mountains and then kind of the north coastal mountains. Like the north coastal mountains are going to be like where Bowen Lewis is and there's a couple of other guys up there. The thing about those hunts up there is there's a lot, like a whole lot of logistics involved. So I chose to uh, do it in the coastal mountains, which is the mainland, the B.C., not the island. Um, the island hunts are just, are, are about close double at least and sometimes almost triple what uh, what I could do in the coastal mountains so and I found a good guy to do them there with he's actually uh, a rabbit goat hunter um, and uh, so we had that in common and I always got along with him and trusted him and all trust him and all that so um, that's where I chose to do it it's great hunts easy logistics flying to Vancouver and you can be in camp in about five hours um, and it's just a drive so that's what I chose to do I've got Unfortunately, well, I shouldn't say unfortunately because it's, uh, it's something I'm looking forward to, but I am having uh, a new baby this summer, so I'm actually only going to be up there the first nine days of May, um, and I do got two open spots during that, during that, uh, that time. So uh, if anybody's interested, let me know because we're, we're kind of closing up books on that, but I'd love to get two more guys. Okay, and um, is that any weapon? Is that spot and stock? Or yeah, is so, so BC's all spot and stock. Um, and most of it's, uh, you know, it, it's in, in, this is a mountain hunt, which I always like too. Um, it's mainly hunting, uh, areas that have been logged. They were logged a couple of years ago. Um, so you can see, you know, you can get up somewhere and it, it involves a bunch of glassing. So spot and stock, you, we can do it with bow or rifle. It's the same tag. Is it a pretty target rich environment? Yeah, it is. Um, you know, it's been, uh, you know, this is a knock-on-wood type of thing, but it's been 100% for, you know, for the, all the history. So, in a matter of fact, if you want to kill two, that's typically not not an issue. Um, I think it's a great hunt for archers, particularly mountain guys, because there's just not a lot of mountain hunts where you're going to have, like, the way I would put it is you're going to average, like, a stock a day, right, with your bow. And what other mountain hunt can you, can that be realistic, right? So... So right. To me, it's it's a fun hunt because of that. And it, is it a lodge accommodations, or are you tent camping, or what do you do? Yeah, so it's like a, it's a nice wall tent type of setup. Um, you know, there the, you do we do have 
you know, some like running water and, and some stuff like that that are not like, it's a step above my wilderness camps here just in terms of facilities. And when you talk about your wilderness camp, you're talking about um, where you're just completely out in the wilderness where you don't have running water and, and such. You just have your tent, your outfitter tents and what have you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the wilderness, it's it's funny kind of actually, you know, and this may be interesting to your listeners because I'm sure you, you have a bunch that, that consider Canadian hunts and that sort of thing. But because of our laws in the U.S. with the wilderness areas, um, the wilderness camps in the U.S. tend to be a little more a little rougher, a little more rustic, just because we can't do a lot of things that you think would be typical in camps, right? Um, we can't run a chainsaw. That's a huge one in a wilderness camp. Um, you couldn't strap a Honda generator to the back of white Yeah, exactly. Ride, yeah. Ride it up there. Yeah, you can't have, you know, yeah, all those things that you think would be kind of in wilderness camps, those, those don't exist. I mean, we do our best, and there's some ways that we can, you know, we make them nicer, but... In general, you know, Colorado, Wyoming, Montana, you know, deep wilderness camps are pretty, you know, you're, you're still roughing it. Um, and so it's a different, you know, it's a little bit different experience that way. Like a lot of the stuff in British Columbia, Alberta, even the Yukon, I mean, you're going into wilderness areas, but they have, they have I mean, they're, the facilities are a lot, uh, you know, they, have, they can build cabins, they can bring in generators, that sort of thing. How nice would it be to just build platforms where you, you know, I'm sure you wouldn't have to slosh around in the mud and stuff. That that alone would be pretty cool, wouldn't oh, it? Oh yeah, it'd be huge. I don't know if you saw that. Like my dad actually sent me a bunch of his old his old wilderness camps, like pictures, and he had platforms in it. And I'm like, ah, oh, you, I, I hate you, because <laughs> like like back, like back in the day, you know, they used to, they used to be able to work with foresters to do do those sort of things. But yeah, it's like a there's some things that, that you wish you could do, but you kind of understand, you know, a lot, there's a lot of usage in the U.S. in these areas, so you just kind of, you, you, you get where the management's coming from, right? Yeah, for sure. I want to touch on, um, I'm bouncing all over the place, but I kind of want to touch real fast on uh, bighorn sheep in Colorado. And on mountain goats, I know you're a mountain goat nut, and maybe maybe let's start with mountain goats, and maybe give me you know a handful of units that you say you know kind of your top top five or something units for mountain goats. Okay, yeah, I'll uh, let, me, let me pull this up because I was looking at it today. You know what I would what I would say, Jay, is I'll go over the the units I know and that I've that I've been in. Um, I don't know that they would necessarily be like my top choices. Does that make sense? Um, yeah, just tell us what you yeah, know yeah, about the mountain goat units, and then what you know about the sheep units, so guys can kind of use that information to make a decision. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I that that makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, in general, I would say goats are doing pretty good in uh, in Colorado. What you'll find in these units, and just like general thoughts when you think about applying is uh, try to get some information, particularly if it's, you know, you've got a real legitimate chance of drawing, like you've got a lot of weighted preference points. Get some information on the accessibility and then where the actual goats are. Because what has happened is in a lot of units, the, the, like the overall number of goats are really, are doing fantastic. But the accessible area, the accessible populations have been, have been hit really, really hard. Uh, and that's just like a management issue with goats in general. They 
they're real, they can be really localized in family units, and then accessible populations get get hit pretty hard by hunting, while others aren't touched. Um, so you got to, I would say, like really use that when you choose your unit. I almost think that in Colorado, the quality of goats and all of that, there's really not that much difference, particularly on quality amongst units. Um, I'd say most of the guys that that I know in the in the business, like they couldn't really say like, oh, this unit produces, you know, you know mostly nine plus inch billies, and this one you're gonna have a hard chance doing that. There's really not that much variation in the quality of goats. Um, so I would say choose your unit based on like the terrain, the accessibility of the goats, and what which one of those works for you, right? Um, the uh let's see um and then and then typically uh in in some of the units the only the other thing i would say is they do have some nanny hunts um in certain units that they're kind of they're trying to control population for goats in particular i wouldn't really frown on those opportunities there's some beautiful older and even non-producing nannies out there that that are that are pretty awesome and there's when you really start hunting goats you realize that a lot of guys it's very hard to even tell the difference between the two so i wouldn't you know if you're you know if you're on the fence that's don't don't frown on those hunts it's you're still up in goat goat country um i've uh gee let's see i mean the most the ones that i've hunted are i would say are the more are hunted and guided in or the more like rugged terrain uh, G2 comes to mind. I don't think they have a, resident, a non-resident tag this year, but uh, G2 is over there out of Buena Vista. And I would say it fits exactly with what I was talking about. There's billies in there. If you work hard for it, you can get to them. Um, but the better goats are going to be in the rougher parts of that unit. And those that unit... It's got a, it's got several 14ers in it. It's all super high alpine. You know, you got to be you got to be open to the fact that you're going to be hunting, you know, 12,000 feet and above. Um, and in some of the areas where where the little bachelor groups of billies are and stuff are they're the harder parts to get to. Um, but it's a good unit. Um, I guided actually. I think there's six tags in there, and then me and uh, one of my guides guided three of those hunts last year. And we we all did we they all got a goat. It was it was great. But um, anyways, uh, it's just just a little bit rougher rougher country and high elevation. Um, the one that I'll tell you one that people talk about a lot, and it's it's local here to me. It's closer to me over here, and that's the Maroon Bells unit G12. It's got a ton of goats in it. I think they're given I want to say 22. 22 tags now or something like that um and it's a great hunt but have you ever been in the maroon bells jay yeah you know i spend the summers there in carbondale and i hike in the maroon bells and i can't believe that i haven't seen the goats but i must not be in the exact right spot but having drawn that goat tag coming up this uh august in um in alaska i'm definitely going to spend some time up there in the maroon bells and just try and look at goats and try and you know be able to size them up and judge them so i'm actually pumped to after my gould's turkey hunts to get back up there to colorado and um one of my big focus is going to be to try and uh you know go find those goats and sure. look at them quite a bit and kind of get a sense and a feel for them for sure yeah and that's it the unit's g12 and that's like a really good unit to to go do that um the the one downside I'd say about that unit is there's a lot there's a, really a 
like a really high amount of human use overall. High traffic. Yeah. 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 Um, hikers, hikers. Yeah, so you know, it's a great, great area for goats. Uh, there's a lot of goats. I think they have a split season. Um, the one caveat to that, and, and it, the one thing I would say about that deal is that the latter season, goats are going to have good hair. But if you do get like an early October snowstorm, that area is really, really rugged. Um, so you got to be, you know, you could be, you could be kind of rolling the dice a little bit if you wait to hunt like the last week or something. Um, okay. but good goats, they're accessible, all that stuff. Be really, you know, if, if you, if anybody out there draws that tag, be really careful. Um, get a friend to, to, to go with you or whatever at a minimum. Um, there, a guy actually died in that, that unit, I think, I don't know five, six years ago with a goat on his back. So you just want to be careful, you know what I mean, because it's, it's really rugged. Um, but, uh, but it's a good one. Uh, other ones, uh, G13's good, lots of unit, or lots of tags, split season. Where's that by? Uh, that is, that's over, oh, it's, it's by the Collegiate Wilderness, just north okay. of it, like kind of okay. between Buena Vista and Leadville. Um, okay. Big unit, split season, uh, you know, kind of, Decent road access, but rough terrain, right? Like you, you can areas you can spot them, but uh, you're gonna have to have to have to work for it. And actually, uh, Jimmy, one of the guys that guides for me, guided a guy in there last year, and and they did well. And, he, and you know, but it was it was tough, particularly they got they had a little snow. So uh, so that's um, that's a good area, but you know, just tough access, high elevation. Um, and then G3 is almost all. Uh, the Collegiate Peaks Wilderness, um, probably the hardest access. But you know, if you're if you're up for a for a mountain hunt, um, that's kind of a horseback thing in in terms of um, if it's guided. Um, and then I know a lot of guys will do backpack hunts in there. So those would be ones that I know of. I mean, all all okay. good areas to kill goats. You know. Um, okay, good stuff. Um, what about the sheep? Do you know much about the sheep um, there in Colorado? Yeah, so what I would say on sheep, um, the one that I'd love to uh, to book to book a guy for would be the the archery S twelve hunt. They give out like nine ram tags, I think, including a non resident tag this year. And the great thing about it, it's in August, um, and uh, that's actually over close to the Buffalo Peaks Wilderness. Uh, and if anybody is gung ho to do a uh, do a sheep hunt there and got a bunch of points or even if you don't give me a call because i'd love to guide that hunt um because it's a time where i can do a, a bunch of scouting um there's good rams in there so that would be one one that uh that i think is a good good unit it draws there's you know people have a preference for it and it does you know it does get a lot of applications um and then the other one i'll touch on without getting like super long-winded here jay is the unit that i live in uh s59 they actually, there's two ram tags, and then this year they made one of those tags a non-resident. So, uh, is that the first time in a long time? Uh, in terms of a non-resident? Yeah. Yeah. So that, the last few years, it's been residents only, um, and it's a, it's an interesting unit. I mean, we 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 keep tabs on the uh, rams that are in here. Um, from my perspective, there's pretty there's pretty darn good quality sheep in here. Having not like right now, you know, who knows what went on in the winter, but I don't think it was that bad. But I do know what was in here after the sheep season last year. So um, I think pretty good quality, but it's a big area. 
it's actually a really big unit. If you look on the map, it's one of the biggest, and it doesn't have, like, you know, it's only got two RAM tags in it. Um, and the sheep are really spread out. There's very, there's completely separate populations in it, if that makes sense. Um, so does that cross the Colorado River and go, and go um, south, or is it from Colorado River? Tell me the boundaries of Yeah, so it actually night. goes on both sides. Um, it goes on both sides. It goes a little bit towards up towards Eagle through 35 a little bit. When I say 35, I mean the, the deer unit. Um, or the, so it includes the Glen Canyon? No, uh, no, so yeah. Excuse so, me, the Glenwood Canyon. Yeah, so it actually butts up against the Glenwood Canyon unit, which is actually 74. And okay. 74, uh, those, I'm sure you've seen those sheep. They're very highly visible. Yeah. Um, it's uh, There's good sheep in there. It's The thing about that is a lot of people put in, to, in for it because the sheep are visible um, they're accessible. It's almost like the exact opposite of 59, right? Like 59, um, if a guy comes to me and wants to do it and he's got any, you know, any concept of wanting to, wanting to shoot, shoot the biggest ram in the unit, we're going to do a wilderness hunt and he's going to, you know, we're going to go into the wilderness on horseback. Uh, 74 is like the inverse, right? The sheep are pretty accessible. The only thing about 74 is that the people, I think, think getting in a little trouble because they see the sheep, but they don't look up those canyons. And you know what I mean, Jay? And, like, those canyons are rugged. Yeah. It's actually... It's some, one thing to see them, but to get to them is what you're saying. Yeah, exactly, because you got to remember, like, you can't, like, you know, you can't, you can't be shooting sheep right next to the road where you're seeing them. So you got to be hunting back up in that rugged, that rugged stuff, right? Um, and so, you know, I, it, it, there's still great sheep in there. I'm not, like, poo-pooing the unit. But just keep in mind that yeah, the sheep are accessible, but you're talking like some of the some of the probably toughest sheep country in the in the state. Does that make sense? Yeah. You know, and it's uh, yeah, for sure. Um, but it's it's uh, it's a cool little herd of sheep that are in there. But uh, that's all I got. You know, uh, I'd love to take somebody here in the in the local unit, but we'll see. It's always tough on these, just because you know who knows on the draw. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I want to bounce back real fast to your elk hunting and all of your elk hunting is, is basically over the counter. The third and fourth rifle, um, I believe is, is hundred percent draw, correct? Yep. Yep. And for and, fourth season has been like, I think, I think it, it's been a hundred percent or like 95% or something for first choice. And, uh, if you had to pick year after year, which is the most successful season over time uh, for just killing a bull on your hunts? Yeah, so, so if you if you hold, I mean, if the only variable you're interested in is is the the harvest rate, it's fourth season. Um, now. I got to add like a big caveat there because there's not a lot of tags and and I tr- I like I has, like right now I have four hunters booked uh for fourth season and that's I'm done I'm booked right so okay. it's a little bit of a biased uh, stat because it's a smaller there's not a lot of hunting activity and it's almost like a totally different hunt uh you know we're not doing it from camps it's it's the only other hunt that I don't do from camps um and it's horseback riding typically in pretty deep snow. Um, and it's, it's, you know, it's really, it's cold. Um, so in terms of overall, but it can be a great hunt. It's just, it's a little bit different. Um, if you look at first, second, and third, first is typically the, less, the least 
volatile, you know, and then and then second and third can be a lot better than first, but it's much more weather dependent. Okay. Okay, and then um, last year overall just pretty tough across Colorado with the mild uh, fall. Um, do you feel like you know harvest was down? I mean, across the board on elk. I mean, do you feel like having those bulls, you know, some holdover bulls, one more year older bulls? Do you do you think that it was enough that like this next season your over-the-counter elk hunters will actually see a little bit higher quality, or do you think that it um, it, it it won't make that big of a difference? Yeah, you know, I, I think they will. I don't know if it's going to be like a drastic, like shocking difference. But I watch the bulls in the winter here in in bachelor groups, and there's bigger elk than there typically are, um, for sure. Um, you know, when we get up there and they all get spread out, is are we gonna are we gonna is it gonna be a, a, a you know a stark difference? I don't know. It's yet to be seen. But for sure, we're looking at the bachelor groups that are that are here now uh yeah i mean it's better lots of you know lots of bulls that would have been shot didn't get shot and then what about uh your winter kill and your snowpack um you know what what have you seen this winter um i i heard that january kind of got warm and a bunch of you know some some snow melted off um what's your take on what's going on yeah and a lot of like a lot of our more sense or like lower elevation uh, winter range is is all melted off. As a matter of fact, a lot of it's melting up even in the mid mid elevation. So I'd say like conditions are pretty good. I talked to biologists this morning, um, and his view was same thing. Like in central Colorado, things look good, but there's you know they're always wary because for sure like our big brunt of snow you know it weakened them a bit, and we're not like out of the woods yet. You know, if we got some big cold snap and a dump of snow, like right now is where they start dropping over if they get, you know, if you get like just a freak deal. So, so I, I, oh, I think the best thing for me is reflect like his thoughts and that's it. it looks pretty good, but keep your fingers crossed and, and hopefully it'll be all good. Yeah. Do you think you've had any deer kill off at all? If you had to guess? Oh yeah. I mean, probably, probably a little bit, but not like nothing that wouldn't be a normal nothing like gunnison basin or any of that that no. they're saying yeah and it sounds like i mean i you know i haven't kept up on it too much but it sounds like you know they might be might be rough but they had the same thing they had a little bit of a warm snap right yeah yep. so what you're saying here on the 10th of march is like march is still known as a big snow month in colorado but if we could go get through probably another 30 days um, then you'd probably be all right. What you're saying is if something comes through over the next couple of weeks that's a doozy, it, it, it could be a little rougher. Yeah, because what you, what you get, like right now uh, at your lower elevations, you're getting like a little green up, like like just the first little tinge of it. And you got, I mean, you'll drive the roads down, and I mean, from here to the highway, I'll see 200 deer at least if I'm looking. Um, and they're hitting that green up a little bit. But, you know, they look kind of ragged. You know they they don't look bad, but they're ragged. And if they get if I mean if they get you know a foot of wet nasty snow, fault comes down. Then we get low temperatures. It's not good for them, you know. And they and some will die. Um, it's interesting, like that whole that that whole deal, you know, in in Colorado in particular. Um, but I know other states with like the shed hunting ban in Utah and all that. 
you know, like a lot of the wildlife managers, they're always concerned about activity right now, right? Like the deer getting getting jumped up and, and just, you know, like like he said this morning when I was talking to him, he's like, you know, only a couple, that deer has to, if he, if he has to sprint two or three times additional 400 yards um, than he typically would, that could be him being dead, you know? Yeah. So anyway, this time of year they're just sensitive. But overall, I think, pretty pretty positive for our units i don't think i don't think it's going to be significant but we'll just we'll kind of hope for the best and then um elk are no problem you know our, the biggest issue with elk in colorado is just uh we've had i mean what jay like four pretty mild winters and our elk herd's not exploding right it should be you know why isn't it uh, that you know I, it, there's a lot of hypotheses out there but generally i think You've got predator. You got a predator issue with the bears um, that everybody's uh, you know starting to acknowledge. Um, and then you have a cow herd that's just not as re- you know, not as productive as it was. Part of that is predation from bears, and part of it's just way less cows. Um, and so all, all those things, I think they're they're considering a lot. But um, yeah, not to get like you know it's, I don't know Jay. It's interesting like not to not to get too political on your podcast, but I wish. Like, it's amazing what I've seen hunters able to do in the last, like, year on certain public policies and stuff. But I do think we've got we to gotta get together as hunters and, and make sure these game managers have the ability to manage predators. Because to me, like, the public land issue and all that, very important, and it's about access. It's about hunters having access to hunting, right? Well... If there's not a lot of game on public land to hunt, it's the same problem. And I think we don't do a good job of like getting together and all supporting our game managers having control over predator management because it's significant. I mean, particularly like Colorado is the the apex of that, right? Because when you look at the number the numbers of game, mule deer and elk, like it, it's the state that really matters in terms of opportunity, not to discount Arizona or Wyoming, Montana, but there's, we got the most of those animals. And if, if that, you know, if that's affected by predator populations, it's affecting the world of hunting. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, if you look at what Colorado does with their bear hunts, um, I think you mentioned earlier, they don't have a fall hunt, correct? They only have a spring hunt. They only have a fall hunt, no spring hunt. Okay. They only have a fall hunt, no spring hunt. And then you have a very limited quota on, you know, mountain lions. Right. Um, and, and, you know, not only you, but other people I've talked to, they're saying the lions are literally, I mean, starting to take over. Are you seeing more and more cats? I mean, it, that's got to have a devastating effect on the mule deer and the elk in particular. Yeah. I mean, we do. We have a lot of cats in our area. Um, and we had a pretty successful year getting after it, but in the end, it's just the quota. The quota is going to get killed, and that's it, right? Um, yeah, I mean, they. There's no doubt they have an effect on on deer here. Um, the cats on the deer, and then the bears on elk calves is 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 ridiculous. Um, and then, weren't you saying that you talked to biologists and 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 you've seen it where they just come into a a meadow and they just start killing calves just whacking them one after another just yeah, literally like, slapping them you'll literally have the black bears that that have learned the behavior from their mom 
they'll they'll be in the low country with the with the where the gr- grass is green and they're eating grass. But they know when those elk are calving, and those elk will be up against that snow going up. You know, they they'll be up above the bears. The bears will go up, and for two weeks or you know that window, they will just just grid calving grounds and just eat calves. You know, and that's that's I mean. I think there's lots of different variables, and I'm not, you know, I'm not like highly educated in this, so I can't like say I'm, I know everything. But I can tell you that like one of the reasons that these big elk herds only have, you know, 14, 15 calves per hundred cows is because bears. It, you know, they're they're killing them when the calves are they are young. And the the thing I think it's hard for the guys to get a handle on it because the bears are in during calving season and they're gone. You know, they go up, kill calves, and then they go do other things. Um, and so it's hard for them to really, like, say, like, it's always bears. But, you know, if there's oh, – so I mean, what else? They're just – they're opportunist, and it's kind of fun to them, and it's easy for them. So they just go do it, and then they move on to something else. Yeah, I mean, why wouldn't – you know, why wouldn't they? It's easy. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And so it's unfortunate, right, because, like, that's an opportunity – like, that spring – the spring season – is an opportunity in Colorado not only to increase, you know, recruitment of calves, but also like it's there's a lot of hunters that there's an opportunity to go hunting that they didn't they didn't have otherwise that time of year. Um, but anyways, I don't mean to be like you know have a big long political rant about it, Jay. I just feel like I wish as hunters, particularly like, I mean the cat thing could surely come up in Colorado in the next who knows you know any time that could become a really hot topic, and I hope. You know, I, I'm timid. I, I, I don't know if I'm as confident that hunters will rally around that and, you know, have the same power they did with the public land issue. But what I'm saying is it, it's like it's the same thing. You know what I mean? If- so in other words, it, what you're saying that, you know, the, the public lands outcry and save our public lands, uh, you know, and, and there's a big push right now for being a public land supporter what you're saying is, guys, ever bit as important as that is we need to manage our predators because you guys are, you know, the, that group that's really avid about it. And I, I'm, I'm not saying that group or I'm a part of that group or not a part of that group. I'm just saying in general, when I look at the group that's super advocate of, of public land, um, what you're saying is, guys, I just want you to get a, a, a fix on the fact that, yes, that's super important, but if you focus all of your attention on that and take your eye off the ball on predators, yes, you'll have public land to hunt, but those animals that you want to hunt will be greatly diminished because the predators, if given a chance, can take over. Right. Yeah, and, and just in, in, and in general, just limit opportunity. It's the exact same thing. As the federal government, you know, or a state government selling part of the land, right? All of a sudden, hunter opportunities gone down. If the elk herd is cut in half in Colorado, it's it's worse than that. You know what I mean? Because that's that's how most Western hunters become Western big game hunters. You know what I mean, Jay? If the elk hunting stinks, uh, or there's not as much tags, and they they have to. They have to take out some of these over-the-counter units because of this or whatever. It's the same thing, man. Like, that opportunity's gone away. And I think as hunters, like, we really got, even if you're not, like, 
you're not a cat hunter, you're not a bear hunter, and even if to you, like, because within the hunting community, I know a lot of hunters, they don't, they're not really supportive of predator hunting. Um, but you have to think about it from the perspective of you have to manage them so there's opportunity of, of, of our ungulates, to hunt our ungulates, you know. Um, and so, like, when people come out against lion hunting and they're going to put a, you know, they're going to fight it here in Colorado, it shouldn't just be the houndsmen down there, you know, protesting. It should be every hunter. Does that make sense? I get it. Yeah, I mean, it makes total sense, and and I think there needs to be an awareness, and, you know, you mentioned it on the podcast, you know, don't feel bad at all. That's what this is for, is to get people thinking about, yes, public land issues are huge, but there's also issues involved with managing our wildlife so that, you know, there would not be as big a public land outcry if our public land sucked. Right, (laughs) if, 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 you know, and... The reality is if there's not as much game to hunt on our public lands, the people are not going to be as as supportive of public lands because it's like, now nah, the hunting sucks anyway. Yeah, like, yeah exactly. The reason, the reason it's you know caught so much momentum is because that our public lands have been good, but what you're saying is, you know, California's already banned lion hunting with dogs. They've, I believe banned bear hunting with dogs they've banned lion hunting altogether in california right and you look at some of the states let's face it colorado has a a, you know a a fairly left-leaning crowd um what you're saying is guys i hear what you're saying but keep your eye on the ball because if you know you know it's like protecting a river that has you know great trout fishing in it and then if the trout go away then all the people and the money might go away too because it's just going to be water at that point. And those dollars of people loving something just like public land and, and, and our public lands, if, if the things that we love to do on those lands, which is the huge outcry of this public land support is people that like to hunt, if those animals go away and it, the quality goes way, way down and the numbers of animals go way, way down, they're going to slowly fade away. Right. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, I think you hit it on the nose. And I think, you know, I guess the last thing I'll say about it is, like, seeing how much power we had in the public land issue, it's like I know that some of these big political things that I think are on her, on our horizon, whereas, like, six months ago I would have thought we had no chance. I think that we do have a chance. You know what I mean? Like, I do think we have a chance to combat an all-out ban on cats in, in Colorado, Be- if, if we have that mindset. You know what I mean, Jay? Right. Yeah, no, I, I'm glad you brought it up. Uh, um, I'm glad to talk about it and glad you brought it up because there's, there's always, it, it's a deeper issue than just public land, and I think you bring up a, a great point there. Right. But, uh, but yeah. So I think it's just something we should think about, you know. For sure. Well, I really appreciate you spending time with us. Um, And do we know yet if we're having a boy or a girl? Boy. Baby boy. Yeah. Good. Good. Good Good. deal. Well, 
Um, I am got turkey season coming up here, and then as soon as turkey season's over, I'm going to be headed to Colorado, so I'll be up in your neck of the woods, and um, we'll have to get together, and it looks like, you know, with with the amount of snowfall, I've, I would check the Roaring Fork Basin uh, snowpack, and you know, it's like a hundred and I want to say 135% or 140% of normal. And so it looks like we're going to have plenty of water to fish, which is good. Um, so yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited for this year. I want to give you a chance cliff to, uh, tell the listeners how they can get a hold of you to talk to you about some of the hunts that you offer. And I appreciate you bringing up that, uh, those BC bear hunts. I know that's something you're really passionate about. So, um, why don't you go ahead and tell the listener how they can uh, follow along uh, your adventures and how they can reach you. Sure. So uh, the best way, all my contact info is on my website, and that's ftguides.com. So F is in flat, T is in top, and then guides.com. That will give you all that stuff and, and details on all the hunts. And then the other main social media avenue, uh, and it's on the website also, but is my Instagram, and that's Cliff. G-R-Y. So uh, those are the best, your best bet. But yeah, anybody's welcome to give me a call. Okay, buddy. Sounds good. I appreciate you spending time. Tell uh, Amy and the kids hello, and uh, we'll be seeing you shortly here, okay? Will do. Sounds good. Thanks a lot, Jay. All right, buddy. Bye.